So we're in the second week of a series that we've titled Life Under Pressure. It's called You Asked For It because quite honestly, you asked for it. And so this spring, last spring, we had you respond. Tell us what are the areas you want us to talk about in the coming year. And we picked some different ones of the highest ones you marked. And so last week, we looked at the issue of anger and hate, particularly in conflict. And you said, under pressure, this is just getting worse. This week, we're going to look at forgiveness, and I'll come back to that in a minute. Next week, we're going to talk about anxiety, which is probably the number one issue if you look all around us that people are facing. And then even more broadly, the final week of this series, we'll look at mental illness and mental health. And just as a, an awareness for you, one in five people at any time is dealing with some kind of mental illness, and over a lifetime, one in two, meaning it affects all of us. So the next two weeks, we're going to mine into that more, more detailed. Today, uh, specifically, we're going to talk about forgiveness. Now, if you grew up in the church, or if you've raised children in the church, you've probably at least had some exposure to the idea that we have to forgive each other. It's kind of like a Christian obligation. Anybody understand that? They've grown up with that. I remember even with our kids, we would try to train them in the right way. So <laughs> you try to teach your kids to forgive each other, and it usually turns into a catastrophe, you know, when that happens. So they come up and go, will you forgive me? And the other kid's thinking, I hate you right now. I don't want to do anything. But the kid who's upset that's been the one causing their harm just keeps saying, are you gonna, he's not going to forgive me. They're not going to forgive me. Suddenly we're in trouble. Just tell your brother you forgive them. I forgive you. Jesus is so happy with your undying, angry forgiveness of one another out of obligation. Sometimes I even wondered if they didn't just pummel each other and go, boom, will you forgive me? You have to forgive me, you're a Christian. And so we're walking into an area, I think we're all familiar with the idea of it, but it's really hard to do, isn't it? And if you're like me, you've probably even had training about this. Hey, you know what? It's an act of the will. That's what we tell each other. So you just have to say, I do it, and then you kind of grunt and bear it. I forgive you. You're like, but I'm carrying all this crud inside anyway. Or we're taught things, it's a hook inside of you, so if you don't let go, it'll still affect you. Kind of for your own preservation, do this. But we haven't really mined into or don't very often, what did Jesus mean and what does it look like for us? And I think in the day we're living, don't we realize we're, forgiveness is not on everybody's topic right now. It's usually mic drop moments. How can I show you you're wrong and put you in your place? How can I get what I want out of this? And so we're going to go into a passage. It's one, if you've been around the church, you've probably even heard some of these words before. I don't think it will be new. If you haven't, you shouldn't feel bad because for those of us who've been around it, I'm not sure we actually buy it or live it. So I'm inviting us to jump in. Could we admit that maybe forgiveness is harder than we think? And in a day like this, would we much prefer vengeance than forgiveness? Can we admit we love the Psalms more than what Jesus taught? In case you don't know, the Psalms are things like dash them against the rocks, smash their heads, have it be as if they were never alive, and then we go, that's not even enough, give them more. Like, can you prove they're wrong and we're right? That's what we live in. And so the idea of forgiveness, I think, while it's a noble idea, is hard for us. And let's just admit we often see it as obligation, not as invitation, and certainly not as invocation, the way we are to live. And so maybe today, I've been asking, will God help us to move in a new direction? I want to say this before we get into the passage as a caution. Forgiveness is not reconciling, and it's not trust. 
Let me just say that to begin with. Just because you forgive doesn't mean you're reconciled and doesn't mean you trust. And we're not trying to do all those things today. We're just working on, on forgiveness. That's what we're looking at. So where we're going to go is a series of teachings that Jesus gives in Matthew. There are four accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in Matthew. It's chapter 18. And this whole chapter, while you hear chapter, if you're not familiar with the Bible, it's about a page long. So they the way chapters are not like chapters in a normal book where it's tons of pages and you look at the beginning and go, how many pages do I have to read? It's one page. But chapter 18 is a series of teachings. And I only want you to understand the other ones before we get into this because it sets a bit of the overall environment Jesus is creating. So in this series of teachings, he begins by talking about little children. And he actually says, if you want to be great, you have to become like a little kid. In other words, it's not about all that you know and do. It's about humility and childlike wonder. And then he even goes a step further and says, man, when you mess with the kids, when you mess with the little ones, that's going to really torque me off. And he gets very specific about, man, you treat those who are humble and lowly well. He goes on to talk about this beauty of when one sheep goes astray that even though there's 99, you run after them. You you hear his heart in this. Jesus wants to run after those who are wandering and struggling. Jesus cares about those who are lowly and not those who think they're great. Can you hear the posture of this? And then we even get into a section where Jesus talks about what you do when there's sin in the church. When there are blatant problems that someone's not addressing, he says, first you go to them, then you bring a second person, and then you bring the leaders of the church. And if they don't respond, you basically treat them like they're not part of the church. You don't pretend if they're not willing to respond. Now, I just want to say, if I stop there, Over the course of my life, one of the most tragic things I have seen is how many people have been kicked out and excommunicated from churches out of judgment and hate. And I just know that's not what Jesus means by this. In fact, when he finishes, he tells them, whatever you bind will be bound, whatever you loose will be loose. Like, pray. Remember, Jesus runs after those who are far away. Jesus wants us to be like the people who are humble. And even in conflict, even in places of authority and places of having to give consequence, pray for them and run after them. I don't want us to miss. That's the context of where we're going now. After all of this, now Peter asks a question of Jesus. He's one of his closest followers, and he says, Hey, Jesus, Lord, how many times, yes, should I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, there's a background as to why Peter says this and why it's meaningful. So in the Jewish culture, uh, the rabbis taught, who are the religious leaders in those days that taught others, that you should forgive someone seven times. And here's the reason. In the Bible, in in, uh, one of the prophets, in Malachi, God gets frustrated with Israel and he forgives them not once, not twice, but three times. So the rabbis taught, God forgives three times, we better do more. Let's do seven. So when Peter says that, he's like, hey, let's, let's, this is what's taught. Hey, Jesus, did I get it right? I mean, can you imagine? He's the kid at the front going, Jesus, am I smart? I'm going to say seven. I'm going to ask a question, but I'm going to say seven. And you should go, that Peter, I'm amazed that you're, you're where you are. Because that's how he sounds when he's in, from Nazareth. <laughs> I don't even know why I did that voice. I didn't do it last service. I'm not sure what happened, but it just went there today. So... Now, there's a context for this I I want you to understand just as as a side note, uh, and this will go to, how many of you, I'm just show of hands, and you can do this at home, how many of you have been taught that you should pray before a meal, give thanks before a meal? Yep, we do. Do you, could you, I just want you to think about this, have you ever seen that in the Bible? And I'm just going to tell you, no. The only place in the Bible it tells about giving thanks is after a meal, the Jews were told, after your meal, when you're full, thank God that he's provided for you. The rabbis taught, hey, if God tells us to do it after, we should do it before too. 
So they were actually taught to pray before and after because whatever God says, we're going to do it more. Back to the voice again. So Peter thinks he's scoring. Hey, Jesus, how many times? I mean, I know God did it three, but how about seven? Jesus, you're proud of me. Way to go. Come on. I get it. I've been listening to your teaching. I get it. I'm the man. Peter is my favorite because he's beautiful and an idiot at the same time. So Jesus responds, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, I want to come back to all that this means, but I want to give you a context for it because there is a precedent for seven times and 70 times seven in the Bible. There's another occasion where this happens, but it's in a different format. Let me just take you back to Genesis, the story of creation, the story of humanity. After Adam and Eve are present, after God creates, and then they have children, Cain and Abel specifically, they're told to make sacrifices. So I don't need to give you all the detail, but Abel basically sacrifices the first fruits of what God's given him, and Cain, it says, over the course of time, gave when he wanted to and was ready. And God looks at them for whatever reason and goes, listen, Cain, your offering is not acceptable. Abel's your is. He calls Cain out. He says, you don't have the right heart in this. So Abel, or Cain, being so frustrated, not with God, but with Abel, decides, I'm torqued at my brother. Does that not sound familiar, by the way? Parents treat you differently, you're like, oh man, I'm mad at my brother. Not mad at God, mad at my brother. So Cain takes Abel, they're away, and he kills him. That is literally, it's the first murder in all of scripture. And God banishes him and tells him, you're not going to be able to be a part of this family, you're going to have to go somewhere else. And Cain fearfully says, but what will happen, people will kill me if you just send me away. How am I going to be protected? And God says this. The Lord said to him, not so. No, you won't be killed. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. There's the first seven. You see it? He's saying basically the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one found him and would kill him. I always picture that God put this huge red mark or something on him just to mock him, but we don't know. It's just like how I like to think about it. Like, oh, little Cain, I'll put a big C, make everybody know you. Something's really wrong with me. It's okay. So what goes on from here, though, is very interesting. So Cain, and this is very common. It's actually an interesting thing to consider when we're caught in trouble. The first thing he does is he gets um, with his wife, and they uh, are together intimately, and they have a kid, and then all of a sudden he's building a city. It's like what he does is he quick moves on. Oh, man, i got to move on from this and do something else. So he begins to build his new life, and he has kids and then grandkids, and Lamech is a grandson of his. So what happens is Lamech is now going to talk about his way of life. And this, in case you know, this is the first poem in all of scripture. So when you think of the first poem in scripture, you think, I bet it's beautiful and wonderful, right? Wouldn't you think that? Scripture probably should be beautiful. Not so. This is what Lamech says as his first poem. He says to his wives, so I says to them, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. And he says, you want to know what? When someone messes with me, I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. I will take vengeance on anybody who does something to harm me. And then he says it greater. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Now where I want you to pause is to see how in our nature, vengeance is what we want. Can we admit that? Can we admit that even when we say I forgive you, even when we want it, what we ultimately really want God, I'll forgive you. There's a passage that says, leave room for God to take revenge. Like, God, would you get him anyway? 
Have you ever had that? I just want to, God, would you take them out? Would you just do something? Can we admit that we all in one way, now maybe it's West Michigan vengeance, so you're passive aggressive, you write an email, you say something unkind, you run their life down in different ways, you don't actually hurt them. But let's admit that, can we admit that we want to get people back when we've been hurt? I, I was thinking about this during the week. Uh, one of the fun things my dad and I shared, uh, my mom wouldn't obviously go to, well, you wouldn't know this, but my mom would never go to movies that were violent or shoot him up. So a son had to do that with his father. I did that to accommodate him, not because I liked them, though I did. So when I'm growing up, uh, Dirty Harry was, the, was a big movie character. In case you don't know, he was, a, he was basically a lawman, but he took matters into his own hands often. And there's even a great statement, he goes, go ahead, make my day. Like he wanted people, he goaded them to get him. And like the theme of most movies, and this is not uncommon, someone is incredibly mistreated and the rest of the movie is the person being mistreated, either they or someone they loved, is all built on what? Getting them back. So my dad was, in this particular season, was going through a very difficult time, struggling with some people around him and was very upset and hurt by it. So we were going to the movie partly to placate his vengeance need. So at the end of this one particular movie, he shoots the villain like he usually does at the end, but that's not enough. The villain falls from a high height into a carousel that has a unicorn on it and is impaled into the unicorn. That's how the guy dies. So I turn to my dad and like, Dad, was that, did that do it? And he goes, it's not enough. <laughs> yeah, don't worry, he's not that violent of a person. He wasn't that way. It's just... I mean, I, go, I actually can relate to that. Can, can we agree? Our natural propensity is towards vengeance. That's what we want. And what I want you to hear in Jesus' words, not seven, but 70, 70 times seven, is he's inviting us to a new inclination, not a new obligation, but a different way to live. And what he's really simply saying is, I don't ever want you to give up on forgiveness. I don't ever want you to give up on forgiveness from the smallest to the greatest offense, from one that's happened once to one that happens every moment of every day, you are people that should never give up on forgiveness. And the comparison to Lamech is, I think, saying, this is a way of a sinful, broken life, and someone who knows and follows Jesus can live in a different way where our inclination is actually towards forgiveness. Now, if I just stop there, can we all agree, I can't do this on my own and you can't? So let's begin by recognizing if the Holy Spirit doesn't change us and help us, we're sunk. And it just becomes another series of rules we're trying to follow. Now I want to take you where Jesus takes Peter because he tells a story, which is commonly what he does. Very commonly what he does when he's dealing with a matter. And he had just said, no, not just seven, but 70 times seven. Everything else he said is about being gracious and compassionate. So now he tells a story, and it's going to be a story about how the kingdom works. In other words, Jesus is the king of a kingdom. It's God's kingdom that he's bringing by his life, death, and resurrection. And he's saying this is what it looks like. The kingdom of heaven is like a king, a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. In other words, there is an accounting for all of our lives. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now, it doesn't matter the particular amount of this. All you have to consider is imagine owing so much money that you couldn't pay it in 10 lifetimes. That, that's the equivalency. It's enough to go, I don't care what you make, whatever you make, just multiply it times 10 lifetimes and go, pretend you owe that much. So the king's coming, he comes to settle accounts, and Jesus says, well, the servant basically says, I don't, there's no way I can do this. And the king says, listen, I'm going to take you, your wife, your kids, you're all going to be in jail 
until you pay it off, you're going to spend your whole life paying it off in slavery, even though you never can. The man begs for forgiveness, and it says the king takes pity on him and forgives all the debt. Now, we know that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Don't you wish even today, just forget any sin debt, if I could take all of your financial debt and go, you're done, it's all good. I'm not going to do that, but just imagine how I'd feel. So now it tells us the story goes on. This, this, now this person who's been forgiven a debt they could never repay goes to another friend who they call a servant as well. And this one owes the originator of the problem who has their own debt that's unsolvable a very small amount. He goes to the person who owes him a small amount and says, hey, you need to pay me back. Just like the king did. Almost the same words. And the person says, listen, I, I can't do it. Have mercy on me. Only this servant says, no way. You're going to jail and your family and sends them all to prison to live the rest of their lives. No response from what he's received. You get the picture, right? So then the picture continues on. These angry servants, other people that are watching all this, go and tell the king. Did you know what just happened? You were so gracious and merciful. This person wasn't. And this is how Jesus finishes the story. In his anger, which the master now has, he handed him, meaning that first servant, over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed, which is never. And then he says, this is how my heavenly father will treat you, each of you, unless... You forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, I trust if you're like me, this is a frightening statement. feels a little overwhelming, doesn't it? It kind of feels like, oh, God's going to hold it over me if I hold it over someone else, but I'm supposed to be forgiven. This is not the only time, by the way, Jesus says this. When he gives us the Lord's Prayer afterwards, he makes a very similar statement. But I want you to see it in a different light. Not that it doesn't, it means what it says, but I want you to picture it a different way. And it helped me. I want you to think of forgiveness like oxygen. When God forgives us, we breathe it in. That's oxygen. What do you do after you breathe something in? You have to breathe it out. You see, forgiveness isn't complete until we've both received it and given it. What happens if we don't breathe out? This isn't difficult. I know you're not going to say it, but we suffocate, right? We die. We could have you hold your breath. I could do it for a while, and some of you might last longer, but quite honestly, I can talk longer than any of you can hold your breath. So eventually, you're going to crash and pass out. In other words, are you made to only breathe in, or are you made to breathe out? You're made for both. So I don't want you to hear this as Jesus is giving this harsh consequence. What you need to know, very simply, is forgiveness is like oxygen. You see, we need to breathe it in, and we need to breathe it out. It's not truly what it's meant to be unless it goes in both directions. What God gives us, we breathe in forgiveness. What God asks us to do is breathe out on other people. You getting a picture for this? I want us to see that really, in essence, we never give up on forgiveness. We're the kind of people that should be breathing out forgiveness all around us. Let's stop breathing out halitosis. Let's start breathing out forgiveness. Can you imagine? I mean, how amazing that we, we, we breathe out the stench of anger and hatred and unforgiveness, but we're supposed to breathe in this wonder of forgiveness. And what do I say again? We can't do this on our own, right? Can you agree with me? No way. Can I just have a few little trick phrases that make it go easier? So what I want to do with the, the rest of this time, I think you're getting the principle. We have to breathe it in, and, and there'll be a step in you in this. And Do I really understand just how much God loves me and forgives me? That's an ongoing process. And then how do I start breathing this out on other people? How do I start living in a different way? So what I thought would be helpful is for us to just be honest about we have barriers to giving out forgiveness, don't we? We all have them. 
And these aren't exhaustive, but I want you to consider with me some reasons maybe we don't forgive, and let's at least pay attention to them. The first one is just this, the gravity of the offense and or the chronic nature of the offense. In other words, if it's just a huge betrayal and a huge pain, it's harder to forgive, isn't it? When your life is thrown in a shambles and you're brought into trauma and you're really hurt, it's not like you just go, oh, I just breathe it out. Or if it happens again and again and again and again. And in case you don't know, what Jesus said was forgive from your heart. Do you know what happens when things happen severely or over time? Our hearts get hard. So I think we have to acknowledge when it's a bigger deal, it takes more to soften us up. It's going to take a lot more for us to actually engage in this. For some of us, maybe you need to talk to a counselor about some of these things. Maybe it's talking to one of us about them. Maybe it's engaging with friends. Do not think that forgiveness means it's just easy. Let's recognize the greater the offense and the greater the frequency, the more difficult it is. Can we agree? So let's not make it so simple when it's not. Let me take you to another example. Uh, If they don't ask for it, why give it? Have you ever thought, I don't mind forgiving someone that actually feels bad about it and they want forgiveness? Oh, then I'll forgive them. Do you realize the other person never comes into play in the way Jesus talks about forgiving? The very prayer he taught us, forgive us our debts as we forgive others. He doesn't say forgive us our debts. And by the way, if others ask and they're nice about it and they really mean it, then forgive them. He just says forgive them. And we have this odd idea that I won't forgive unless they ask for it. And if they don't know they need forgiveness, I certainly won't. Or we'll even take it in the wonderful passive way, aggressive way. I'm going to tell them I forgive them and then I'll let them know why because they really should know even though they don't and didn't ask for it. Can you see how that impedes us in forgiveness? Let me give you another one. We see relationships as performance-based and they need to improve and we need to improve. This is something I've come to observe a lot more in the last, probably in the last 10 years, I've become more aware of. And and I'll use people that tend to be more harsh. When I meet someone who's really hard on everyone else, I used to think, man, they're so so harsh. Why don't they realize they need this themselves? And what I've learned over time with asking many people like this is usually the person who's hardest on others is very hard on themselves. So when someone is performance-based and thinks, I'm not okay unless I do very well, they put the same thing on everybody around them. And what happens is we somehow think, God won't be happy with me unless I do better, and I'm not happy with them unless they do better, and I need to communicate my disappointment regularly to get them to do better and improve. I can't coddle them with loving them when they're messing up. Can you see how that impedes? And the crazy part is the more you're prone to this, actually the more you need to know how much God loves you in your failure, not in your success. Because I don't care how good you are at performing, you're not good enough. None of us are. And when you can actually stop and go, oh God, I'm so thankful that you love me in my failure as much as you love me in my success and my success doesn't give you more to love. I just think the way we perform really messes us over. Let me give you two more that I think affect us. One is that we don't seek true forgiveness from others. And what I mean by this is uh, we tend to ask for forgiveness, and especially if we're Christians, we know they have to forgive you. I I talked about it with my kids, but you know we do this as adults, don't you? I mean, I've had people come in with horrendous betrayals of one another, and they're like, why won't they forgive me? 
They just need to forgive me. Or I want to be forgiven because I feel bad about how it makes me look. You know how we do this? Boy, please forgive me so I feel better. True forgiveness is wanting to understand the pain you cause and aching over the pain, not the reputation. That's why I say true forgiveness. We need to seek true forgiveness. It's how have I actually hurt you, and I want to grieve over the pain I cause, not grieve that I don't look so good. So quick, forgive me, and I'll feel better. Instead of whatever you need to get to forgiveness, I want to enter into the pain and know what I've done. I want to grieve and ache over what I cause, not over trying to feel better about me. I think it hinders us because we're not really seeking forgiveness. We're just seeking comfort. And it leads us to really the same way with God. I'm not sure how much we seek forgiveness from God and true forgiveness or face the darkness in us. It's easy for me. I, can, I, uh, I get to see, <laughs> as a pastor, people tell you all sorts of things about their lives. So I get to see the darkness in others. And it would be very tempting to go, oh, I'm not that bad. But it's not true. Because the more I see it in others, the more I realize in my own life, I am in the same mess. Maybe it hasn't played out the same way. But we have to face our own brokenness and sin. And we have to let God love us in it, not try to make it go away so we don't face it. I mean, it's a crazy thing to think that God of the universe, he doesn't look at you and go, man, I got to fix this. I'm going to go die on a cross and rise so that it'll get better. Because ugh. He looks and goes, in the grossest, darkest mess of your life, I love you. And that's why I'm going through the suffering and death. Because, man, I just want to help bring back new life to you. I'm willing to do whatever it takes because I actually love you in the part you think is so unlovable. You know, we don't have a tradition that regularly has confession. You do realize that. I, if any of you have grown up Catholic or maybe even in some of the more liturgical churches, you probably at least recited words of confession regularly, like the Lord's Prayer recites it, or you have a time of confessional. But I don't know how often we actually face our sin. You know, what would it be like at the end of the day to go, God, would you help me look back? see where I've just offended or hurt or kind of lived in my own mess? Will you love me in that? Would you forgive me in that? I think our biggest ache is I'm not sure we breathe in enough of forgiveness to know how to breathe it out. I wonder if we really get just how much God loves us in our mess instead of trying to get him to love us so we get out of it or to get out of it and love us then. And that's something, while I can say it, I can't make it happen for any of us. All I can do is invite you. Would you ask God to, you know, last week we talked about searching our hearts. That's what we talked about with anger and hate. Would you let God search your heart? Would you let him see the things and show you the things that are ugly and a mess? Jesus has an experience. He's with all these religious leaders. And they're together, and they're very righteous people. They see themselves that way. And this woman comes in and pours out affection and really just extravagant love on him by giving all this perfume, by just crying at his feet. And then he tell, they're all annoyed by it. What is wrong with her? She, get her up. Get her out of here. He says, listen, I want to tell you a story. Somebody had a great debt and somebody had a little debt. God, forg the leader forgave both. Which one loved more? And he says, the one who's been forgiven more loves more. That's what they say. And then Jesus says, that's what happened here. She's been forgiven more, so she loves more. The bad part is they're not actually forgiven unless they just don't think they have as big a sin package as she does. 
because somehow they think they're better than instead of really facing their pain. She has faced it and has an extravagant love to breathe out. They haven't, and so they hold their breath. I, go, I, I can't take you through that journey, but I can invite you on it. I can invite you on the fact that the way of Jesus, the way of Jesus' forgiveness is really simple. Jesus suffers. You know, we, we think of the passion of Christ, you know, these, these last hours where he goes through torment and misery, and we don't really recognize that's an image for us of the pain he carries of our sins, meaning he is paying the suffering price of what you and I do. He doesn't just cancel a debt, he takes on the debt. Death is Jesus' way not only of paying the price for it, it's also a model for us of not getting them back. You realize he's on the cross and they mock him. Hey, why don't you call down your legion of angels and get them to stop us? Now, come on, you and I love retribution. Wouldn't it be a great moment as a son of God to go, hey, Father, just take those three out right now. Go ahead, throw a little lightning down. Let's blast them. I'll forgive everybody else. Could we just take them out to have a little bit of fun? Everything, he goes, nope, I commit my spirit to you, God, I'll die. He dies to getting them back. And what comes out of it? New life and resurrection. Not just for him, but for us. Now, isn't that air you want to breathe in? Oh, my goodness. The things I do, I have done, I've thought about doing, the messes in my mind and in my actions, God actually loves me in them so much that he dies and rises for them to give me new life. That's our model, in case you don't know of how we forgive. Our model is we suffer. We suffer for the pain that's caused us. We don't try to get rid of it. We take it on. And that is a personal journey. Paul says, if I share in his sufferings, I share in his glory. Part of the Christian life of breathing out forgiveness is taking on the pain of hurt caused and saying, God, would you meet me in the suffering? The second step is dying to our need for retribution, which I know you and I want to have it, don't we? I mean, I have things where I get, I get hurt over situations, even in the way publicly that I get treated about certain things. And I, I will keep a list knowing I'm not letting go of this. How do I keep a list? And God just say, pray your blessings. I pray your help. I pray I can love like you love in this. Help me die to what I want, though I sometimes confess what I want. And God, would you help me let go of it? And what I love about Jesus' pattern is new life always comes out of it. You see, when we surrender and we take on pain and we suffer and we die to retribution, we actually bring new life. That's how we breathe out, by the way. We breathe in forgiveness. We breathe it out as we suffer, die to retribution, and say to God, bring new life to me and to them. Wow. Because at the end of the day, what do we want for people that have hurt us? We want them to experience forgiveness and live in a new way. We want them to have debt forgiven. We don't want to carry that and don't want them to. Here it is for us. We never give up on forgiving others. I don't know if today you need more to breathe in what forgiveness means for you. God's not saying to you, figure this out and then I'll forgive you. He's going where you can't change it and just struggle. Breathe in my life and forgiveness. Where you don't know how to make your life better, breathe in my forgiveness. And boy, in those situations from large to small, from chronic to once in a while, would you breathe out forgiveness? Imagine if you and I stopped breathing out mic drop moments on each other constantly. We are so busy being right. We are forgotten that our call is to be forgiving. 
I want to pray for us, and we're going to finish with communion as an opportunity to breathe in, but I just want to pray that God would meet us in whatever he wants to say to you today, and then we're going to move into this sacred time as a means of experience. Lord, I ask uh, that you'd meet each person here today online, here, watching later. I pray, God, you know, I don't know how much they breathed in your forgiveness, but I pray they would experience that in a new way, and I pray you would begin to soften our hearts to other people. God, whether it's a lifelong pain, whether it's an ongoing pain, whether it's a new pain, would you help us to begin to soften our hearts? God, to actually take on suffering as a joint with you, a joint heir with you, and actually meet us in the suffering by your Holy Spirit. Would you help us to die to retribution and not be people that want that, but instead long for forgiveness for others? And Lord, would you help us breathe out new life into others the same way you breathe it into us? I ask this in your name. Amen.